Welcome to Rationalist, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your co-host, Morgan Wack, and I'm here in honor of the recent Valentine's Day, the single and ready to mingle, Eddie Matthews. Yes. <laughs> I'm here. How was your Valentine's Day, Eddie? Still single. Uh, I can't believe it. Although I, so you turned down all the suitors that showed up at your house on February 14th? That was a little awkward. Okay. I thought so. Sorry, because I only paid like half of them. I wasn't planning on talking about this, but I will. Um, and it won't take long. <laughs> so basically, February 14th comes around. All these suitors lined up at my door, like I told you. Yeah, exactly. I was at the pub. I didn't know they were coming. So I was at the Brunswick Arms. My Everyone knows you're always at the, the pub, so at least they know where to find you. Um, I'm pretty certain you we you and I went there. It was like the I do I do believe we did go there. Yeah, it was the it was the Welshiest pub. It was yeah the yeah yeah. It was everything you wanted in a Welsh pub, like. Carpets from the 1970s, wood paneling, you gotta have cobwebs. Um, Eddie Matthews. All the Welsh beers, me. Um, it's warm, which in February in Wales that's, is nice. Yeah, that's clutch. Yeah. Anyways, I was there with my Guinness, who was my date. And <laughs> this, yeah, it's never I been a final lass. What? <laughs> it's never been a final lass in all the land. Yeah. So uh, how was your Valentine's like, Day? They call it a fine pint for a reason. Um, First one is the hype, as the as the happy married couple, huh? Yeah, it was good. We went to go see a concert. We talked about it. Uh, we saw Doctor Dog. It was it was nice. Yeah, Doctor Dog, MD. So what are we talking about today? CRISPR. I uh, I will say how I first uh, heard about this. Maybe you can say okay. what, where you. Yeah, were yeah. Sure. I was listening to. Do you listen to Radio Lab? Our rival pod. <laughs> yeah, they. I know they've given us some bad press in the past, so I've I've decided to kind of wane off of it. But I have listened to them in the past. Well, I'm about to do a do a big put down of them right now. So good, good, get good. ready for it. They did a big CRISPR <laughs> episode, and it was really well done and explained everything well and all that stuff. And I'm pretty sure the Vox thing like totally stole their analogy of the mugshots, but uh, that's a good one too. That's yeah, a great analogy. That's great. Talk about that. So, um, but it kind of turned me off to the entire Radio Lab podcast in a way. I don't think I made wow. it through the whole episode because here's how the episode starts, and it's an episode about CRISPR, and the guy, the the Radio ho Radio Lab host is talking about how he learned about it, and he's like. <laughs> And this is how he talks, and this is what just made me cringe and, like, turn off the pod. This is probably how a lot of people feel about this podcast. He goes, okay, so I was at an academic conference, and uh, there was a bunch of scientists, and they're really nerdy, and they've had a lot to drink, and they start telling me about this thing, CRISPR. And I'm like, oh, God, whatever. <laughs> just make it stop. And then it was an interesting enough thing that I kept listening, but through just gritted teeth. But the way that he, <laughs> this is also, for all of those outside of academia who think that academia is just a bunch of nerds full of themselves 
this story is about to validate your narrative. <laughs> and so the scientist, I guess, goes up to this radio lab host guy who hadn't heard of CRISPR. He goes, <laughs> he goes something like, um, he's like, he's something weird. Like with CRISPR, I can take a Chihuahua and mix it with a Great Dane and a rabbit or something. And I'm like, <laughs> it's through Gene. And then he goes on this whole thing and I'm just like, so that's how I learned about CRISPR. So I have kind of already, when you suggested doing a whole episode on CRISPR, I just like thought about that. I was like, uh, but hopefully we'll do it better. Well, it sounds like we've got a lot to top. I did not learn about it in some fanciful way at an academic conference. So we're already behind. Yeah. But we can genetically modify a happy memory if we want using CRISPR. So let's get into it. Yeah. So basically, um, you want to give some of the bullet points? It's sure, yeah. Editing. I'll give you uh, your usual little background. I'm a little more brief than you, Yeah. but I'll, I'll do my best Eddie impression here. Okay, do it. So, CRISPR, or Clustered Regularly Interspersed Short Palindromic Repeats. That's such a bullshit uh, name. <laughs> like, that is so way more convoluted. I don't care how complex CRISPR is, and it is complex, <laughs> but there's no way that it necessitated such a convoluted term. Which makes me think that it's even... Like anytime something actually spells something that you can sound out and it's that long, it just makes me think it's absolute bullshit because clearly they were trying <laughs> yeah. to make it sound like that. No, they just <laughs> brought in, they brought in some, but someone from the non-scientific, someone from the humanities, uh -huh. they brought in for 30 seconds and just said, fix the acronym. Yeah. And they said, they're like, dude, you can't call it Chris R. Don't think yeah. it's a person. <laughs> Add in palindromic. That's great. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's what it's called. Originally kind of just remarked upon in, in 1987 by Japanese scientists when they spotted some irregularities with some bacteria they were studying. Yeah, apparently they actually until, yeah. salvaged a quote from that first meeting when they discovered it. Did you read about that? I, I believe so. They but said, they, said they all shrugged and said, huh, that's weird. <laughs> right? That, that, those scientists sound a lot more fun than the ones in the radio lab. I know, seriously. <laughs> okay, podcast. sorry, continue. We're in the 80s. No, that's... Yeah, so, I mean, nothing really happened for quite a long time because it seems like nobody really understood the full extent as to what CRISPR was. Essentially, um, if we want to give a, a kind of brief overview before we get into the analogies, it's, it's a way that bacteria have adapted to fighting off viruses because of the kind of ongoing battle that exists all around us all the time of viruses and bacteria. And, and I'm, no, uh, I'm no scientist, but... From my understanding, there's way more good bacteria than what we think of as bad bacteria, right? So it's like a good yeah, thing I mean, these bacteria are fighting off these viruses, and this is the way that they discovered it. I mean, classic Hollywood, always just presenting us with the bad bacteria and not giving us any <laughs> good stories about the good bacteria yeah. all the time around us. Uh, <laughs> um, and yeah, so in 2012, a couple scientists from Berkeley realized that they could use CRISPR to kind of do the work of a gene editing system. Go Bears. And so they hypothesis this. Yeah, go Bears. And they put out a paper that has now gone on to be kind of the center of a lot of ongoing lawsuits as to who owns the CRISPR patents and technologies because of how popular it's become. It's you know almost like a, a billion-dollar uh, debate. Isn't this um, kind of... 2000, yeah. Isn't this kind of like when... Uh... The guy who invented the cotton gin, invented the cotton gin, 
where it was like something so revolutionary and transformative that everyone just kind of copied it. And it was just like, so kind of there for the taking, you know, like, is it, can you really patent like editing cell? Like, is this patentable? I mean, U S intellectual property rights are pretty extensive, probably the most extensive regime of any intellectual property rights regime in the world, which is credited with a lot of innovation, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, I, I understand where you're coming from, and it doesn't seem like it's stopping anybody from conducting research. So that's, yeah. well, good or bad, depending on how you see CRISPR uh, as a form of technology. But anyway, in 2013, the Broad Institute came forward, some, a couple of researchers from the Broad Institute, and advanced it further and kind of showed that... A couple broads. A couple broads got into it and kind of showed that you, not only could you take out unwanted genes with this kind of evolutionary technology, but you could also replace them with genes that are better suited for, you know, survival, whatever you're trying to trait you're trying to get across. And so since since those two papers were published, just to give an example of how big this has become, in, in 2011, there were 100 cited articles that mentioned CRISPR. And by 2018, seven years later, there are now 17,000 articles. Um, and so essentially, it's become its own field that extends a lot more broadly than I thought prior to reading a little bit more about this. I kind of associate it with designer babies and and human genetics, which we'll talk about, but it also has kind of far-reaching consequences for agriculture, animal rights, um, kind of um, medical sciences, uh, pretty much everything you can think of that requires any sort of genetic manufacturing, which is most biological life, has some way of interacting with CRISPR. Yeah. There was um, Hall Nepfler was quoted yes. from the UC Davis School of Medicine. I wonder if this dude was at that Radiolab conference thing. Because he's quoted as saying, makes him feel like a kid in a candy store, Christopher does. <laughs> it's like, uh, <laughs> these people, dude. Uh, dude, but if you were genetically modified to not like the taste of sugar, like they might say, then maybe... Not not so big a deal. Yeah, maybe the, maybe that guy was gen- genetically modified to have a bad sense of humor. Am I right? <laughs> we we, did, we developed it all on our own. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're our natural <laughs> natural. Spectrum. Okay, do you want to get the do you want to explain the mugshot analogy because I do think it's the most helpful um, of the analogies I've seen, or do you want me to do it? Yeah, I can take a shot at it and then maybe you, you got can... this. I believe in you. <laughs> so basically. The um, bacteria will give the RNA. It's it's. <laughs> Explain RNA versus DNA, please. I, I I'm gonna leave that. Our listeners are smart enough to know the difference. I don't think we need <laughs> okay. to get into that. <laughs> Basically, it takes a little snapshot. Uh, the bacteria does of the virus. It's uh, it's fighting off once it's cut into little pieces. It takes a little snapshot mm-hmm. of that gives it to its little RNA, you know, component of its bacteria so that it can be like, look for this. They use it as mugshot. So it tells it its little, you know, RNA detective. Look for this guy. This guy's a bad virus. If you find him. There we go. Commit to the analogy. <laughs> if, you, if you find him, cut him up like they do on the streets. Dead or alive. <laughs> yeah. And so the RNA goes out and he's like, all right. And so he goes out and starts cutting up all these virus because that looks like the mugshot. And uh, 
and then basically like takes a little bit of that DNA and kind of uh, uses it to, or I don't know if it's DNA, sorry, like one of the little tiny, you know, little chunks of uh, the virus it cut off, but it basically yeah. like embeds it in itself to inoculate itself from that virus, that particular strain of virus for next time, right? Mm-hmm. Am I getting that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you, it's pretty, the actual, I mean, I'm sure that the actual science underneath it is not simple at all, but the comprehension of it is much more basic than you would expect. It's essentially... Everything's more basic you could... when, you, when you break it down into cops <laughs> true, and robbers. True. <laughs> and so the important part is that the scientists, the Berkeley scientists first and the Broad Institute scientists figured out that you could essentially take a snapshot of a gene from outside hand it to the detectives and say, hey, do go find these guys, even if it wasn't associated with a virus or anything else that was actually in the cell to begin with. So, so you could essentially frame, you could frame some genes for the, the crimes committed by viruses. Right, and then by doing that, you can edit in whatever trait you want into that gene. That's the whole idea. Yes, right? yeah. yes, exactly. So, and, and so it's a fake the, mugshot. Exactly. You can is what the kind article of, says. It, um, exactly. Um, yeah. And I think, so it's, it's important to note that this is not, what CRISPR does is not totally unheard of. There was gene editing beforehand, but it was so slow, imprecise, and expensive that only a few labs in the world could do it, and you couldn't do it at any kind of sophisticated pace or rate. And so this has just made yeah. it so... It was usually like a you know thousands of dollar process has now like cost like seventy dollars some insanely low rate. Before money. CRISPR, I tried doing it at home. Way too expensive. <laughs> Wait, yeah, that's that's where your student loans are, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Um. So yeah, I mean, it's basically. Do you want to talk into like the ethics of? So I, I want to ask you if you. So I want to talk about potential, potential consequences or things that could yeah. possibly happen as a result of CRISPR first, and then we can get into the ethics a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, what are some of your favorite potential outcomes, or just most interesting things that you've seen associated with CRISPR? Um, I mean, it seems like it could pretty. I don't want to say like easily because all this stuff is tenuous, but. Seems like it could end famines, you know? It's always good. Which is good. Nobody likes um, famines. <laughs> so just, I guess, it wouldn't, I guess it wouldn't te- technically be GMO crops. It'd be like CRISPR crops. But basically, it sounds like GMO on steroids, if they wanted it It seems, to be. in my mind, they're essentially the same thing, right? You're still editing yeah. the genes. Yeah. You're doing it a different way, but... Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, essentially... I think like making food more nutritious or, or more just like resistant to disease. Mm-hmm, I think that's robust, yeah. the best use of it. I think you get into some weird territory when you want to make a food, like it talks about making the food tastier. I don't know yeah. if that's like, I don't know. That just seems excessive. I don't think that's a good road to go down, but maybe okay. that's just the you conservative now, in me. But have you ever been in the winter and it's cold and you're sitting there with your toast and you're thinking, I wish avocados were in season right now. Man, I can't <laughs> relate to that. <laughs> yeah, maybe. no. Intimately in Wales. I thought so. Um, then uh, suddenly you're thinking a whole to, different thing. Everyone thinks to... they're the morally superior until the avocados go on. <laughs> right, that's true. 
Man, I haven't eaten an avocado in three years. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that's what's the most potentially, uh, you know, what would you concur for that? Or, I mean, well, obviously, I like the, the... eradicating HIV, if if that worked out, if you could target viruses like that, like it was yeah. So it seems like a lot of medical kind of disease related. It seems like cancer has even it's been used to treat certain types of cancer recently. Um, those are the first like human trials that were conducted in Western right. countries. Um, leukemia. And so, yeah, I think there's a lot of potential for it to have a lot of... But then they're saying, like, it can go wrong and actually cause cancer in cells, right? I mean, that's the thing is, like, if 2000... Considering that this is basically discovered in 2012, the, at least the applications of it, that is, you know, it's 2020. That's eight years for us to try to grapple with this completely innovative revolutionary technology. Like, it's it's going to take a long time before we really understand how best to use it and how to get around some of the problems with it, um, which is what's terrifying about it, right? Yeah. Um, but also, I think what is has scientists so excited because in eight years, they've already figured out that it can have you know a monumental impact on a variety of fields. Um, some of the things that are most most um, often mentioned are the ability to get rid of things like malaria by editing mosquito genes to kind of not attract the malaria gene, um, treating cancer. I didn't understand that. It talked about one of the ways of doing that would basically be to um, edit in a gene so that only male, so that mosquitoes only had male offspring and it would just kill off mosquitoes so malaria wouldn't be transmitted. And I don't understand the logic of that because you're messing with like an entire ecosystem at that point. Yeah. So what if this is a, they do this even without CRISPR, but they've basically done a bunch of tr actual real world trials. And it essentially seems like no ecosystem is relying on mosquitoes. <laughs> oh. what they've basically concluded. It's like the um, appendix of the ecosystem. Way worse. An appendix does nothing. Mosquitoes are the worst things ever created. <laughs> so right, like but, but was, you could, like take, it, you could you. <laughs> take them out and it wouldn't. You know. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, so it seems like most people think that that's fine. Um, yeah, it would be terrifying to try that on a large scale without smaller test trials, but it does seem like something interesting. Um, other things are kind of editing animals to make them, these are basically gem genetically modified uh, animals where you can, you know, make them produce more milk or more fur or wool or whatever. And I guess China has already experimented with all this, um, and essentially has created goats and sheep that are better for livestock and ability to retain meat and that sort of thing. Um, but then, and of course the thing that gets the most press rightfully so is the designer babies aspect and the ability to edit human genes, potentially editing out things that are catastrophic to survival and then, you know, slippery slope arguments abound, but we can talk about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess should we just you know, address the obvious question of if people start applying this to human beings and, you know, obviously well, curing cancer, guy, uh, good, curing HIV, good. Well, you would say that, but you, you, you read about uh, the Chinese scientist that edited HIV resistance into the two Chinese babies or supposedly edited in yeah. HIV resistance. I like how he was like, check it out, guys. We should be stoked. <laughs> and everyone's like, like, check out Whoa. these two kids. I, do, 
I totally edited them without any supervision. Yeah. <laughs> with this brand new technology. Yeah. Who are who is the who are the parents of those babies? That's what I'm wondering. So it's all. I mean, it was in China, so it's all kind of under wraps. Um, and I think at this point in the pod, we probably pissed China off enough that we don't have to beat around the bush on this one. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> we're already on the list somewhere in Beijing. But I'm uh, never gonna go to China. <laughs> Sorry. Well, Johnny. since we're. I'm pretty sure by this point our, our podcast is blocked, which accounts for, you know, the drop in. I don't think we, <laughs> I don't think we make enough of a blip to get on no, some I'm pretty totalitarian. Sure. We've kept Xi Jinping minions. up a couple nights. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's this scientist named, I'm going to probably mispronounce this. He Jiangqi. How dare you? <laughs> That's my attempt. Uh, but he actually just got sentenced to three years in jail for his, oh. uh, his work, which is actually, you know, things people have gotten a lot harder sentences for a lot less things in China. So, yeah, take it as you will. Yeah. But uh, their claim is that they knew nothing about it. And he kind of did this as a rogue scientist. Uh, but okay. this kind of shocked the world that it shocked the world enough where it was like, OK, this guy had basically no infrastructure and financed it privately and was able to do these incredibly, you know, incredibly time-consuming and money-consuming experiments on children. Um, what could, like, a state do with this type of technology, essentially, is, is the question. And so my question for you, Eddie, is if you were in charge of CRISPR tech and CRISPR policy, would you allow it to be trialed, at least at this point, on kind of animals to see if it could be trialed on humans? And if it was successful... Would you have edited out any of your own traits prior to birth? Hmm. Yeah. Talk about hard some hitters here. Talk about some big questions. The first question is <laughs> That's what we're here for, man. Would I allow trials on the animal? Um like just what would you do you think you would slow down the current pace or would you kind of opt for this more kind of all holds barred, everyone going from every direction until we solve it? across every country i think i would do what they did with the human genome project and basically set up a really highly competent team that's you know supervised and gets grant funding and has to account for it and everything and uh -huh. kind of let them uh be the crispr you know innovators the new wave maybe the the broads and uh the japanese guy and you know I don't know. I guess. I guess. In <laughs> sounds like I'm putting together like a superhero team. No, um, um, we'll just keep CRISPR it team. to American researchers, I guess. But like, basically, set up a project. See, like that's that. the problem, right? That's the problem is that you can't. There's no universal body right. that could enforce it. Just going to a group of people, yeah. like you can in a domestic situation. Yeah. Well, so just speaking in like the you know. Uh, Academy of Sciences in America context, I would, yeah, I'd set up a team like that and then outlaw it. Otherwise, yeah. Or, you okay. know, or like, or take applications and then approve some projects and not approve others. Like, and that would be up to the team too, maybe. But try to contain the research while allowing it to innovate forward. Mm-hmm. Um, very sensible. I think we should sign you up. Yeah, I think with the, um, I feel like that that question of ethics always comes in like theoretically, and then doesn't actually ever have any teeth. 
You know, yeah. it's like they kind of think they're like, oh, yeah, we should have people trained to think about these types of issues, but never actually call on philosophers and and actually like validate their <laughs> like learning and worldviews and what they can bring to the table. And so I think as a component of that project and just of this conversation going forward, I think you basically have like a like a czar of ethics as it comes to CRISPR, you know, and have somebody like lead the conversation about ethically, like, what does this mean? How does this change? What are the potential risks? What are the potential benefits? All this stuff. Cause like, uh, it sounds like this type of technology is momentous enough that if we don't approach it really slowly and in the right way, you could like do some irrevocable, incredible damage. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is, is not just that CRISPR is redefining genetics technology, just the entire study of human genetics is so new as a whole, not just CRISPR, that we essentially have no idea what things would do down the line. Yeah. Um, even you know, the utmost scientists have not been able to figure out how exactly this would affect different ecosystems and human genome as a whole, um, which is pretty terrifying. Yeah. But in more fun conversation, I go back to my original question. What traits or would you edit out any traits of yourself or would you leave them all in? If you had complete control and it was you know, no side effects other than what you, um, you edited in and out. My honest answer is that I would edit out OCD. Okay. That's not been a terribly like fun part of my life that <laughs> that I've, you know, dealt it with. It's so. character, man. Imagine everyone's just walking around not paranoid all the time. Is that a world you want to live in? Is that a world you want to live in? <laughs> <laughs> You're right. We wouldn't have Larry David in that world. So Yes, exactly. Um, for the best it's very human do you yeah do you do you have anything to add to what 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 would you do if i guess same same two questions for you i think it really so my follow-up question was going to be in a world where most people use it would you how far would you go with your own child if everyone else kind of had adopted this policy would you allow them to correct your eyesight their intelligence or their looks or where would you draw the line i think for myself I was going to say something similar. I was going to say sleep. I don't think that I see any benefit of me just being paranoid, sitting there awake at one in the morning, not being able to fall asleep. Totally. I would I would enjoy it if if that went away. But uh, I had a little know, the taste. Is it's a slippery slope, right? I had a little taste of that when um, I got back to Swansea and had like a week of jet lag. And usually I don't really struggle with jet lag, but it's just bad. And uh, I had a little taste of that, man. It was. I thought of you because I was like, this is. <laughs> not easy this is dude you know you're not sleeping when you're sitting up at night thinking about me that <laughs> is a, a surefire sign of insomnia yeah um yeah i mean so what about your what if if the world started to adopt this where do you think the line should be drawn in human genome editing so i, um, I assume you would be okay with them editing out things like you know detrimental diseases preconditions for cancer that sort of thing is that correct or yeah um okay. What I mean, I guess to wade into the deep waters. Yeah, w- yeah. Like, what about something like Down syndrome? Yeah, I mean, I feel like people already pre-screen for things like that in the first couple of terms of of uh, pregnancy to see if those sort of preconditions are at a high rate of happening. Yeah, I think. So yeah, I mean, I think that's the. But then where do you draw the line, right? If your kid's going to have 
ten twenty vision is that bad or twenty thirty twenty vision or whichever way it goes is that bad enough um no i mean i think you draw the line where it's like um i mean if you could edit out like my favorite writer dave foster wallace struggled with insane degree i don't mean in, insane like i use that as an adjective i don't mean yeah he yeah, was yeah. insane i was saying a a Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> it, a, a massive degree of clinical depression his entire yeah. life. And he, and he killed himself as a result. Yeah. And, um, if I could edit that out, like, of course I would, you know? So I think there's certain things that are on the table. I, yeah, it's hard. I don't would like, you, where do you draw a clear have... line? Is yeah. like, if your kid is, um, what if you thought they were going to have an IQ of like 85 and you could change it to like 115, like within the bounds of normal like population, but right. substantially changing the future yeah, of this child? Um, I feel like 85 is pretty close to normal if it was like 60. Okay. I, uh, I don't know. It's, I mean, it's why it's a complicated issue and a hard question yeah, is because it's absolutely. not like, I don't, like these aren't. The if you, is if, if you, we don't put if, the foundations down now, right? These things are going to come. This, yeah. this field is moving so quickly. Yeah. If, that unless we move to build these foundations now, yeah. it's not going to be a. We, it's not we, be up to us. But we have to. Going to change it. We have to talk about it in like an honest way that is not that approaches it with a lens of critical thinking and also an ethical yeah. lens and yeah. like. And a mutually respectful lens. Like I can't imagine. Like already, this conversation is like hard for me to, for you and I to talk about. Yeah. But yeah. I can't imagine, honestly, investigating and like wrestling with these types of difficult questions in like a public setting where there's people, who, you know, like are, have loved ones who struggle from xyz thing and yeah, then here yeah. at the panel at the front of the room is someone being like oh we should be able to edit out this 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 and this and then someone's like that touches on someone else you know what i'm saying of course i mean it sounds like a sci-fi conceit like gattaca essentially but imagine like it's not too far gattaca to someone could sorry sorry uh gattaca is that what it was actually pronounced <laughs> yeah everyone always pronounces it wrong well i'm sticking with gattaca no i'm just kidding way better <laughs> Okay, I refuse. Um, the idea that someone could bring you like a chart, essentially like a stat sheet from a video game right. six months into your pregnancy and say, hey, which, which of these things would you like to boost? And essentially, okay, give us $50,000 and we'll make your child twice as smart. Like that's not incredibly far-fetched. That just doesn't... I, I feel like the, the fallacy at the at the center of that thinking is thinking that making your kid twice as smart or giving your kid an IQ of 180 is going to make them a better person or a happier person or a more loving Very person. True. And like, or having your kid be able to like have a 36 inch vertical or like whatever, or having your kid be an yeah, Olympian, like none of this de facto leads to a good, meaningful life geared towards others. Like that is just a, a consumerist material lens to the most Absolutely. obscene, 
crazy well, degree. This is why you need philosophy, right? This is why philosophy and science, the, the divorce of the two is bad for humanity. It's bad, yeah. When you segment different types of learning and you become specialized in certain areas, you're not really thinking, well, what are the long-term consequences for morality and for yeah. the human species? And like, you know, I have a really bad habit of being able to like burrow into an idea or topic so deeply that other parts of my life suffer. And so if you think about the field of engineering in some ways, just being this incredibly effective, just like incisive tool to do, Mm -hmm. to build something. Yeah. But then there's no kind of (laughs) supplemental tool to like be like, hey, maybe if you drill down too deep, you're going to hit the core of the earth and we're all going to explode. Of course, that's not what the incentives are, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so I think like it's a hard. The incentives are, I mean, it goes back to one of our other conversations about like the incentives are always on breaking new ground and having and Absolutely. like being like the, the making the new frontier of whatever your science science you know whatever your field is in science it's not like the nuanced you know uh mediated restrained kind of <laughs> approach so that's where the conservatives come in yeah that'll be on our next pod huh it, yeah. i just want to say one more thing before we close one possible awesome benefit. Can you imagine watching the Olympics in like 2060 with a bunch of genetically modified human beings? That would be People dope. doing like like 25 foot high jump. And That'd, be, <laughs> that'd be dope. <laughs> but then even that, it's kind of like, eh, because... They're cheating, you know? At what it's, point is um is it just like too much, dude? <laughs> you know? I mean, it would, it would lose its, its uh, yeah. appeal very quickly, becomes, but it would be fun to watch one time. Yeah. Yeah, I'll give you one. Yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> All right, well, did we solve it? <laughs> I think Is we the solved Acad- it. National Academy of the Sciences watching and listening Wait. to us, National Science Foundation? Waiting for the waiting for the phones to ring off the hook. <laughs> how, how have we not received like a multi-million dollar grant to philosophize about these things yet? Uh, speak for, your, you know speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Adios, fans. Adios, guys. Until next time, rational rational listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Peace.